Thanks, John Wayne. Good morning, Bethany Greenlake. Good morning, so many people online. Uh, incredible that right now, around the world, people are tuning in to this church gathered here in Seattle, and so thankful so many of you made it in this morning. You look good, kind of sun-kissed, August, you're smiling, it's, it looks good on you. Uh, I love the question of awe-inspiring. Yesterday, I queued up to do the Summit Lake hike just outside Rainier National Park. I had awe-inspiring plans, and then we ended up canceling said hike and instead going to Ikea uh, for a bedspread and $700 later. Like, you know, my day was not awe-inspiring. So I hope your days uh, over this last couple were more awe-inspiring than mine. It's really good to be here. My role as senior pastor takes me to the different locations of Bethany. Uh, but about every four to five weeks, I get to be with you all at Bethany Greenlake and so encouraged by the work that God is doing through this community, the reports of hearing your faithfulness. And I'm excited to share with you today this really encouraging message that's called Genuine Faith Together. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for a moment to gather as your people, both online and in person. Thank you that these words written by Peter 2,000 years ago are new again this morning. God, make them new. Encourage us as your disciples. Move us as your people to be connecting with your heart. God, we want to hear with our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts again this morning of what you're speaking to us about how to have genuine faith and do it together. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. I, uh, it's been a great summer here in the greater Seattle area. Uh, in July, I, I ended up traveling a bunch. Uh, my son had some travel soccer tournaments and some family trips. One of my trips took me to San Jose. My son had a trip, and I was just his, his chaperone as he was at a soccer camp. And as we landed in San Jose and started to drive around the city, we started to see billboards everywhere for the Winchester Mystery House. Any of you been to the Winchester House in San Jose? Not many in the service. That's okay. The Winchester Mystery House is a mystery. Built by the heir of the Winchester gun fortune, Sarah Winchester, who started in the 1880s. She moved from Connecticut, bought an eight-bedroom, very nice Victorian mansion in an upscale San Jose neighborhood. And then, over the course of 40 years, started a five million remodeling effort. Now, the motives are a little bit uh, kind of urban legend, but some said that Sarah Winchester either had a fear of evil spirits or somebody had kind of placed a curse on her house, but she became convinced that her building where she lived, as long as they kept building, that the evil spirits would stay away. So she employed crews 24 hours a day for 38 years, and they invested $5 million, which in today's dollars would be about $70 million, adding in total 160 rooms, three elevators, 47 fireplaces, and nearly 40 sets of staircases. But here's the catch. Most of it was purposeless. Stairs that went to nowhere, doors that opened into doors, windows in the floor. They kept building, but the very purpose to which they built was a mystery. It was uh, $40, so we just drove by it and read about it instead of actually doing it. So if you've done it, come and grab me after the service and let me know how it was. I didn't need to walk through. I got, I got the point. I got the sermon illustration. Well, what's the point for us? The point for us is we're called, says Peter, to be a church with purpose. And we've got to 
not just, you know, build buildings or run programs or take hikes or even serve the school. All those things are fine, but we're meant to have a purpose that's beyond ourselves, that's both for us and through us, that something for the church is going to bring hope, hope for us and hope for the world, a living hope, says Peter. And just last weekend, we, we started this series called Built for Hope. Pastor Richard kicked us off so beautifully with the idea that we were made for hope despite persecution. And Eric's going to take that up next week and talk a lot about struggles and persecution and holding on to hope. Today, I'm talking about the role of the church, that we are meant to be built with purpose, that we're meant to be building something with our lives and resurrecting the hope of the local church. And you know, like I, like we've lost friends. We've, I mean, people have just left Seattle in the last couple of years or, or left the church or, you know, people are just kind of scattered. And so this book and this time is a word calling people back. But yeah, we've lost a lot over the last couple of years, but we've gained a hunger for the church that matters, for a genuine faith together, being built with our lives that when we show up and serve together, hike together, worship together, all these things matter because we are more than just a bunch of individuals. We have a collective identity. That's what the church is. That's what we are called to be building with our lives. And Peter, as he, as he sent this letter to the scattered church, it was a group of people who would know great suffering. This is on kind of the edge of the Roman Nero persecution. But they've already had both great struggles and great successes. Peter himself has already been locked up in jail. And Bible scholars in the room remember Acts 12, where Peter was locked up by Herod. And then by the power of God, chains fell off. And so Peter's like, God can do amazing things. And the church has gone, when Jesus ascends to heaven there in, in AD 33, over these next couple of decades, the church is just exploding. Men and women, white and brown, Jerusalem and Judea and beyond. The church is like God's doing incredible things. But, Peter warns, we must have a purpose, a genuineness to our faith. The genuineness, he says in chapter one, may the genuineness of your faith shine. And church, I'm hungry with you to rediscover our calling, to rediscover our purpose, to rediscover a genuine faith that knows what it is to be built into a church that matters in this city together. So I'm going to look at just three points that are there in your, uh, in your outline of uh, from, from stone to stone, that genuine churches are always called to be growing. This piece about living different, that genuine churches are committed to obedience. And then finally, we'll get to joyfully declaring that genuine churches know how to innovate and invite others to God's great love. So let's begin here at this first part, from stone to stones, that genuine churches, says Peter, are growing by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter says in second, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter two, verse four, as you come to him, because you will come to him, the living stone, capital S, that's Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like living stones, that's us, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I mean, this, 
This is just this great word where Peter's like, hold on, because persecution is coming. And though you will struggle, there's no doubt about that. You'll hear more about that next week. We are not put to shame. Peter says there is the living stone, and he's alluding to both Psalms and to, to uh, Isaiah. And he said, but our role is to be growing as the little stones, the living stones built into a house of hope, a house with purpose. We must grow, church. We must be growing individually. There is no such thing in the spiritual life as neutral. And many, many, many of us have been stuck in places or seasons of discouragement. So it's not a word of shame. It is a word of invitation. May we be responding to the invitation to be growing as God's people. And to do that, Peter gives us nine different references of rock or stone in these seven verses. Why does he do that? A, scripture does it. He's alluding to Psalms, Isaiah. I've already mentioned that. But also, remember, Peter is Greek. Petros means a piece of stone or a little rock. So when Peter says, you're like stones being built into a holy church, it's a word of affection for him. It's like if I talk to you about fishing, it's something that I love and I know. And so I want to use that metaphor to encourage your life. Peter says, There is the living stone, capital S, who is Jesus. There are us, the smaller stones, those participants. We're more than just individuals in scattered churches. We belong to him. And then he says that Jesus is the cornerstone, alluding to Isaiah. In ancient times, they would set the biggest, truest, straightest stone as the cornerstone to draw their 90-degree angles to build from. But then in... Uh, in verse four or five, he says, but Jesus is also the keystone, or the NIV translates it also as the cornerstone. But if you have the common English Bible, it says Jesus is the keystone, a capstone. What's the difference between the cornerstone and the keystone, or the two versions of cornerstone? They're two different Greek words. But if, in ancient Roman buildings, like Peter would be sending this out to the church now in modern day Turkey. He says, if you just look at that, that Roman arch, it, one side, tower, stones, other side, tower, stones, tension between, it all holds together by one stone. That is the keystone or the capstone. So Jesus is both the cornerstone, the foundation that we can build our lives upon, and he's the keystone that can hold us together no matter the tensions between us. That kind of works, right? The tensions between us. What, what tensions might you be saying about God? We just chuckle because there's so many tensions between us becoming a house of hope. Jesus isn't ignorant about it. Peter encourages. If you're changed and animated by God's power, he's our foundation and the keystone that can hold all tensions together. Therefore, says Peter through 1 Peter chapter 2, we must be a genuine church who's growing and growing together. And he's going to knit this message of togetherness through really all the pages of 1 Peter. Because remember, it's a letter to scattered Christians who have both seen some successful things as, the, as, as their faith has grown, but also getting ready for persecution. Peter does not... Just, you know, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, you will struggle, but you can also flourish with God in you and the spirit giving you an animating power 
and it's a power to draw you together. What does that mean for us? Though it's not a super popular belief right now, the reason that we felt so strongly, and Pastor Eric really was kind of a visionary for this book when this time, he said, I feel like my people at Bethany Green Lake and people across all six locations, we need to be reminded that we can't opt in and out of this group of living stones. It's in our blood. And there might be things about the spiritual community right now that we have a hard time with, but we, are, we belong to each other. God's people, have, it's always been that way. And some of you are like, oh, this is good news. I love the local church. I'm here today or I'm watching online, but I'll be back next week. And many others are like, ooh, our role with the church can be at times tenuous. And we've lost many. We've lost many who just have struggled to see God moving through the local church. Oftentimes, we're going to talk about that next. It's our lack of obedience that weakens our witness. But the reminder, church is never a building. It's the people. And we've been built as God's people together. I'll tell you a story to kind of illustrate that. You can look this up online. There's a lot of different versions of this. Most people think it kind of goes back to the story of the builders. It goes back to 1666. There was a great fire in London. And, and one of the most famous architects with church architecture at the time, a man named Christopher Wren, was employed to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral, one of England's greatest churches. And one day, the architect, to kind of get in the ground to see what was happening in the rebuilding effort, because cathedrals weren't built in, those era, in that era uh, with years, but decades. But Christopher Wren came upon three bricklayers on a scaffold. They were repairing one of, the, you know, one of the walls of the church. And he just wanted to kind of see how employed the men were with the mission of rebuilding this great cathedral. And so... The architect, Christopher Wren, came to the first builder, the bricklayer on the scaffolding, and he says, what are you doing there? And the man turns around, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm making bricks. I'm working hard. I'm feeding my family. I can just see what's right in front of me. Wren walked on, asked the second man, what are you doing? This man replied with a little bit more vision. He says, I'm rebuilding a wall bigger than any wall I've ever worked on. Ren, the architect, came to the third and final builder, and he says, what are you doing? To which the man turned with joy and purpose. He says, I'm building a cathedral. I'm a cathedral building, a cathedral builder to house the high and holy living God. I tell that story because for many of us, life just over the last couple of years kind of got small, and we just kind of got into you know, the brick in front of us or just survival. And I don't need to document all the ways in which that's true for us. I think many of us in the room would just affirm, like, yeah, it's been a struggle. But we're changing focus. We're rebuilding a genuine church that's meant to grow. And I want to challenge you, people online, people in this room especially, find a place in the next 100 days that you would build into this church. Show up at the serve day, go for a walk with Wilderness Ministry, volunteer for shuttle drivers in the fall, come to a ministry fair on September 18th, take one step where you're taking your brick and saying, this is my church, Bethany Green Lake, and I want to build together. Genuine churches know how to grow. The second thing that this text teaches us is that we're meant as God's people to live different from our new status. It, all the work in this is, is Christ. We just are responding to Christ. 
The genuine churches are obedient to Christ's power. Continue on with me in 1 Peter 2. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also that which they were destined for. Uh, Peter's like giving an option. And as a preacher, I love the alliteration. He's like, it's your destiny or disobedience. Choose one. People are destined to know the love of God, the mercy of God, but their response is their prerogative. And if you're not obeying Jesus and seeking to live in accordance to his good grace in your life, you stumble, you miss so much. There is this word of conviction that's going to come through 1 Peter to the church that our lives are matter. Remember in chapter one, those of you that were here last week, uh, Peter says, be holy as God is holy. He's quoting the Old Testament, that the church's witness comes in our obedience to the living God. It's no secret, friends, that we have a crisis of authority in the local church. And some might say, well, that's been whittled down from secular forces that have you know, whittled down like the essence of God. And I'm not going to even argue that. I, I think the single biggest impact to the witness of the Christian church is those of us that call ourselves Christians who aren't obeying God's power and responding to God's grace. And talk to anyone under the age of 30 right now. People are saying, it's hard to believe in the power of God if I don't see it lived in the local church. Remember what Gandhi once said. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So there is an invitation for us in the season ahead to be a church that's more and more and more like our Christ, that we are seeking to be obedient, we are seeking to be holy. And those words, holiness, obedience, it's got you like took me back to like 1980 and I'm just like pulling away because it was all about like the rules again. Let me use different words for you. I just use the words in scripture there, but we talk about genuineness, talk about authenticity, talk about vulnerability, talk about mission. Talk about a people who experience the mercy of God are living lives response. Is that, yeah, that, that's easier for us to jive with. Peter says, there is an opportunity to which you're destined for. Do not disobey. Do not miss the opportunity to a life lived in response to God's goodness, to God's holiness. Henry Nouwen says this, and I'm going to share it with you now. The gospel doesn't just contain ideas worth remembering. It's a message responding to our individual human condition. The church is not an institution forcing us to follow its rules. It's a community of people inviting us to still our hunger and thirst at its tables. Doctrines are not alien formulations which we must adhere to, but the documentation of the most profound human experiences which transcends time and place and are handed from generation as a light in our darkness. Peter will say over and over in this text, you really need to hear me today. It's a key theme I want you to hold on to. Your life is your witness. All of us will fail, but our life is witness to the power of God to which we ascribe to. How do we do that? We seek to tap into the goodness of God. Look what Peter says in verse 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your good deeds and they'll glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's just saying, 
live the story. Peter knows failure. He knows brokenness. He knows jail sentences. He knows what it is to be in chains and be in places of shame. And still he calls us out to say, our life must resemble the God to which we worship. So our worship matters. Our response matters. Our hunger for, for God's power and God's spirit in our life matters. Uh, the foreign pastor and theologian Eugene Peterson said it like this. He says, holiness is the Christian life mature. I love that. Holiness is gathering all the parts and pieces of your life into obedience and a response to God and living with energy. Holiness is a blazing thing. It's an energetic thing. Holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a work in which there is a conscious and intentional participation and obedience. It's living the life of the Spirit. I love that. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't just want to I don't just want to be the way I was, stuck in old, old patterns and places of discouragement. Jesus, will you, will you call me out? Will you call me up? Will you call me in? I want to live a life obedient. That's what it means to be pursuing the obedience. And there's this warning in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 that like people stumble when they're not obeying God. He says it's, it's like a stumbling block, the gospel. And stumbling block is actually an allusion to an Old Testament verse. I don't know if you knew this, but like that, that term we have in our language even now, a stumbling block, it comes from Leviticus. And it was a sin in, in ancient Palestine, very rocky, to place anything in front of somebody who was blind that would cause them to trip and fall. It's a verse about mercy. Like don't do anything to impact the walk of other people. Don't set stones in front of people. Do not be a discouragement. Do not tear down the goodness of God and others. Friends, I, I got to speak to you from the heart for a moment. Like, I know we're really worried about X, Y, Z on the ethical front. I think worship is the front door to influence. And I think if we praise the Lord Jesus Christ and live as people impacted by his holiness, his mercy, his glory, our impact flows from there. Now somebody's like, well, what do you have to say about said issue facing the country? Let's start with obedience and worship and spirit and tapping in to what God wants to do in us as his people as he's gathered. That's what it means to be a house of hope, that when these stones are gathered, the spirit's going to flow and stumbling blocks will be minimized. In Peterson's translation of Proverbs 29, he says, when people don't see what God is up to, they stumble all over themselves. Don't stumble. Don't get discouraged by where you might miss what God's doing. Continue to seek after what Peter says is our destiny. The warning is there, though, that stumbling blocks exist. I I love to get my, my crew, I've got four kids and a fifth in heaven, I'd love to get my crew outside whenever possible. I know yesterday I failed. Like Mount Rainier to Kia just is like, oh, wow. You know, I lost my dad card. But a couple weeks before that, we were up at Denny Creek at the Denny Creek water slides and, and hiking up above the Denny Creek uh, trail, uh, heading to some upper lake. lake. I forget the, the, the name now. And we were trying to make good time. And there's stones all over. And I've got a pack. And you know, maybe my youngest son wasn't real excited on this hot, dry, dusty day to be making the hike. And we got up to a waterfall. And as we started to come back, we're, you know, there's a little bit of bickering happening on the trail. And, and there's, you know, kind of roots everywhere. And I 
pack in front, my son, who's nine, is right there, and I just go flying. My, you know, 200 deeply chiseled pounds, for sure. Uh, His, uh, you know, 80 pounds, and he's right there. But as I fly, both my hands end up on him, and just I launch him, and he ends up actually quite hurt. Like he's um, not permanently hurt, but like he's in a heap on the trail. Like imagine you're like hiking with your dad. Next thing you know, all you feel is two hands on the back and like airborne dust, skin, knees. And as he sat there in the dust, he's like, why did you, why'd you push me? (laughs) I said, buddy, I'm sorry. I, I tripped and explain it. The fact that we were already at each other only made the hurt worse. See, here's why this matters. When we stumble, people do get hurt. And it's often those closest to us that bear the brunt of our failures, right? When we start to drink more than we should, pursue things online that are not edifying to our wholeness, when we're not participating in God's community, when we're not putting our hope in Jesus, when we're stumbling, people around us get hurt. So this verse says, when we fail, we've got to be better than anyone else around us at saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? There's this incredible piece from Luke 22, right before Jesus speaks to Peter, the rock, who's given us this great little letter, that he's going to fail him. Jesus says, many times I've prayed for you, Peter, that you wouldn't fail, but when you return, strengthen the brothers. Luke 22, 32, look it up this week. When you return, Peter, strengthen the brothers. Learn to turn your stumbling into wholeness. Learn to take your brokenness and say, will you forgive me? Learn to say, I blew it here, but I have received Jesus' mercy and I want to be a blessing to other people. The people of greatest influence in this church are not those that don't stumble. They're just the best at saying, here's my brokenness, but God redeems me still. And if there's a message from Peter, and Eric's going to pick up on this next week, about we will struggle and still God says, ah, now I can use you. It's not a, not a, a fake and phony church that doesn't know brokenness. It's learning to sit in the dust of that Denny Creek trail and say, son, I'm sorry I hurt you. This will stumble, will hurt. But as God's people, we've received more than we could ever give back. And so we're very good at saying, we blew it. God, redeem us. Call us back into your joyful path. And that's where I want to end. The genuine churches, us as little stones being built into a capital S stone in Christ, are called to live joyfully. We are the special possession of Jesus Christ. And genuine churches have an invitation about them and an innovation declaring God's love through hikes on the trail, through serve days at Bagley, through coffee on the patio, through volunteering to serve others, through opportunities at church, through parachurch organizations, through mission organizations. Genuine churches are inviting others to the goodness of God. Listen here, verses 9 and 10. 
First Peter 2, this is so gorgeous and encouraging. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And see what Peter's doing. He's, he's not saying once you were not a person, but now you are a person in Christ. The identity of the early church was collective always. You weren't a people, but now you are a people. You weren't a church, and now you are a church because of God's great love for you. And when we're inviting others over this next six months, I want to encourage you, Bethany Green Lake. We've got empty seats. Like there is room for your friends, your neighbors, your like anyone that just needs to be reminded of their purpose, reminded of their identity, reminded that though testing and struggles will come, that God is with us still and that we are recipients of a great mercy. That word mercy is a Greek word, L-A-A-U, L-A-A-U, which means a gift of special and incredible worth. But we've just, we haven't just like, oh, we received mercy. No, we've received the gift of our own life, the gift of our own fellowship with Christ at our core. This is this incredibly encouraging text. And if you're in a place of discouragement, I just want to invite you into 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, over and over and over again this week, that you would just hear the message of Christ to you. Once you are not a people, now you are a people. Once you are not a special possession, now you are God's special possession. And much as I just said that worship is the front door, I think invitation, experiencing God's power together is our call for the season ahead. To say, what does it mean to be a blessing in North Seattle or wherever you hail from? What does it mean to be a place where we are inviting others in? There's a lot of opportunities here in this community in the season ahead. Uh, there's a hospitality team. Eric just said something early in the worship service. I hope you heard that when you show up here, it matters. We would love to have more people on the hospitality team just to say, we're glad you're here. We're hoping to even deepen our family ministry in the season ahead as family. So many of them are coming back to the church for the first time since COVID. We need volunteers that can serve kids. My own daughter will be at University of Washington this fall, and we need college shuttle drivers that can take a bus to the college campuses and say, hey, come on. We want you to experience God together. We could use your help. Or any number of other ways. I already said, in the next 100 days, take one place where you're taking your life as a brick and saying, my life matters in this community. I want to participate. There's never been a more important time for us to be a genuine church together. I want to tell you a story, but first a study that informs the study. My wife is a therapist. I'll be sharing great research. And there was a study called Social... Uh, relationships, and the perception of geographical slant. Semi-famous study done at University of Virginia. They took a, a, a hill on campus at University of Virginia. It's a 24-degree hill. It's not nothing. They put a backpack on the 35 or so college-age participants in the study, and they loaded it down with 20% of their body weight. 
They did, you know, like they wanted to find out about people's, you know, mental capability before taking the hike, the, how heavy the pack was, how that would impact the hike, their, their, you know, physical, physiological abilities. All these things matter. But in the most recent study done some time ago now, before the participants even took a step up the hill and they would measure with this fancy little tool how steep they thought the geographical slant was. And they would, they would use their hand to monitor the hill and you know, say it's about that steep. And then they would bring a friend, a colleague, a lover, a, a, a soul person to stand right next to them. And when every single participant found out they were not alone, every single participant reported that the degree of the hill to take this hard journey with a heavy load, the slant was less. The journey was easier to know that somebody was with them, that they weren't alone, that they're going at the difficulties of life. Yeah, there's a load in the pack, but this person wasn't even going to journey with them. But psychologically, the hill looks less steep. We don't go it alone, church. If you're like me, there's been a lot of loneliness, but I encourage you over the season ahead to jump in, to find a place of new relationship and community here at Bethany Green Lake. But this wouldn't be just people you might see on a Sunday, but these would begin to be stones with you, growing a genuine church together. I'm uh, in spiritual direction with a, a leader that I sit with every month. We pray and discern the future together and He's a Presbyterian pastor and just a real gift to my life, but he invited me on a hiking trip. We were going to do the high country in June, and there was too much snow off the Mount Baker Highway, so we ended up on the east side of Baker Lake. And before we went, he said, hey, I've invited some other pastors to go with us. It's going to be a group trip. I'm like, that sounds awful. Pastors can be really weird to be around sometimes. I mean, I'm honest. I'm like, was not looking forward to it. It's easy to preach the sermon. It's harder to be vulnerable with other people. I wasn't sure what this is going to be like. I was like, well, as long as I get some time alone with God, it'll be cool. And sure enough, we did hike alone, and we had silence and solitude. But by easily, the most impactful time of our 36 hours away was sitting around the fire, other people discerning the will of God in life, and we did something called the People Seminary where we would take 10 minutes and pray for each one of the members and say, what's God saying through you to this person? And then we would share what God was saying and to see God telling stories through multiple people. I took those little sheets of paper that they wrote for me and I've read them five times in the last month because I need that reminder. I can hike alone. I can camp alone. I can do a lot of things alone. I can be a bit of a lone ranger, but we're called to belong together, to grow a genuine faith, now more than ever, we need you. We need you. We need you to grow this church together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this group, this time, these people. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to grow this fellowship, that the individuals here, God, would be strengthened by your grace and your mercy, that this would be a season of restoration and hope and purpose of turning back to you. And that God, in this season, you're allowing these individuals to be part of a collective, 
that they would know that you are building them up as our foundation, as our keystone, holding us together, no matter our tensions between us. God, we pray for more relationships in the season ahead, more hope in the season ahead, more growth in the season ahead, so that this would be a church tapped in to your genuine faith. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the good news you've declared in this place this morning. And all God's people said, amen.